All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. It's Fit Nation. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and, of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Underscore Misfit Nation. That's The Underscore Misfit Nation. So you'll stay up to date on all our episodes and meet great guests. So if you are looking for someone to inspire you, educate, and fascinate your audience, our next guest may be the one you want to get on there. So without further ado, let's welcome Monique Rhodes to The Misfit Nation. Welcome, Monique. So good to be here, Rich. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you agreeing to to deal with me on here and uh, enjoy the Misfit Nation with us and and share some of what your skills are with my audience. I'd love to. So if you'd like, Monique, just uh, give us a little background story of you from as far back as you want to go to where we are now. Uh, Tell us about you and everything the Misfit Nation needs to know. Sure. Well, you know, I grew up in one of the most beautiful countries in the world. I was very, very lucky to grow up here, Rich, in New Zealand, where I'm currently hiding out at the moment, about to head back to the States. And, you know, it's it's a wonderful country, but we have some dark sides as well as, you know, having the best sporting team in the world, the All Blacks, having uh, the first person to climb Mount Everest, which was Sir Edmund Hillary, and some of the greatest you know, scenery and films and the Lord of the Rings has come out of here. So it's a, you know, it's a beautiful country. It's a wonderful, tight little nation, but we also have some problems. There's always a shadow side to everything. And we have some problems with child abuse. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm one of those statistics. And I think that probably by the time I reach my teenage years, it's probably fair to say that I was pretty depressed. And by the age of 19, you know, my emotions were out of control. Like, I, I just didn't seem to be able to manage life. I was stressed. I was anxious. I'd kind of wake up in the morning and my emotions would start in one place and who knows where they would end up. So I, I never felt really grounded or safe in the world. And at the age of 19, a series of events happened and I just found things too tough. And I ended up in hospital having taken an overdose because I tried to take my own life. And I remember sitting in that hospital bed, Rich, thinking to myself, you know, why is it that some people seem to kind of cruise through life pretty easily? You know, why is it that there are some people that seem to manage it? And, you know, I feel like I should be able to be one of those people. And so I decided to go on a mission to see whether I could heal whatever it was that I was struggling with, to see whether I could find the answer to that question, like, what is the difference between someone who's really happy and someone like me who's struggling? And I thought that if I could find out what the difference is, that I might be able to then actually turn my life around. And so I, I started traveling the world and I traveled all over the world. I looked at different philosophies and different ways of being. And over, over, you know, over 20 years, I worked on myself to, yeah, it would be fair to say I've completely transformed my life. Uh, I, I thrive far beyond what I even imagined possible. I've done wild things. I've really lived an extraordinary life. And it was really understanding that question. And that's now what I teach. I, I now teach people how to do the exact same thing. 
I teach them how to turn their lives around. And you're called a happiness specialist. That's what your profile says. And I see, and that's probably from your, uh, you're finding yourself and seeing how others were able to skate through life with no, no issues that you could see. How did you learn to become happier and how can someone else become happier? Yeah, I think one of the most important things that I understood, if not the most important thing, was that I began to understand that happiness and suffering wasn't actually coming from outside of myself, that it wasn't about my external circumstances, that, of course, we're all going to have difficulties and trials and tribulations, but we have a tendency to want to protect ourselves from those. We have a tendency to want to kind of make the world into a place that we can handle it better. But the truth is, is that there's an old Indian saint called Shantideva who gives a perfect example of this. He says, and, and he's talking old school here. He says, it's almost like we're walking the world with bare feet and we're, we're trying to cover the whole world with leather. But instead, all we need to do is cover our own feet. And I understood that covering my own feet was actually working with my own mind. And if I could work with my own mind, then I could start to have a different experience of the world. And so, so much of what I teach is how we can actually work with our minds so that no matter what is happening in our lives, we don't, we don't kind of drown in it. You know, we don't run away in it. We, we can handle it. We can manage it. And instead of, instead of drowning, we start to actually surf the waves of things that happen in our life. And I learned that that was completely possible to do. And that totally changed things for me. That's awesome. I like that analogy of put, instead of putting leather on the earth, put leather on your feet and take care of you first. That's an awesome way to think of. I never heard that before. So see, I learn stuff new all the time on this show. It's great. Then <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like you're going into a meditative state when you're trying to find a center or find a, your peace within you. So why is meditation something that, I should learn or everyone should learn. Listen, I think that meditation is a superpower, Rich. It's like, it's such an amazing skill to learn. I think that there's a little bit of misunderstanding about what meditation is. Sometimes we're presented things that I would call a little bit more creative visualization as meditation, or we're told, you know, you've got to get rid of all the thoughts in your mind that can be very, very, intimidating for someone who's never meditated before but it's actually not that what you do is it's a little bit like going to a gym of your mind so you sit there you watch your mind you thought your thoughts disappear they'll disappear off in a couple of seconds and then you bring yourself back into the present moment and a couple of seconds later your mind is going to disappear off and you bring it back and the art of meditation or the practice of meditation is actually just bringing your mind back to the present moment. Because if you can learn to bring your mind back to the present moment repeatedly in a meditation practice, even if you only manage to do it twice in 10 minutes, what happens over time is that your mind becomes more focused and more anchored in the present moment. Because there's kind of three places we can live in. We can live in the past, we can live in the present, or we can live in the future. But if you think about it, Rich, the past actually doesn't exist anymore. Like it's really just a dream state. It's you have memories of the past from yesterday that someone who was there would have a completely different take on what had happened. So it's very subjective as to what has happened in the past. 
But not only that, the past is over and the present hasn't come yet either. Sorry, the future hasn't come yet either. So the future is just a figment of our imagination. And if I were to say to you, hey, Rich, what's next Thursday going to look like for you? You could only have an imagining and probably you would be 99% inaccurate in how next Thursday is going to be. So it's just a figment of your imagination. So the only thing that's real is right now. But what causes us stress and anxiety is when our mind is constantly dancing off into thoughts of the past or thoughts of the future. So with meditation, what we learn is to actually bring our mind back into the present moment more and more. And as we learn to extend that time that we can stay in the present moment, this then starts to transcend into our daily life. So instead, when we're having a conversation, instead of our mind dancing off into a hundred places that cause us stress and anxiety, we're just here. When we're writing an email, we're just here. When we're spending time with our kid, we're just here. And this enables us to experience less stress and anxiety immediately. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It makes a lot of sense. And, uh, I like uh, that the past is gone. We can't do nothing about it. The present, you really, the only thing you can control is right now. The future, like you said, we can guess what will happen, but it's not always going to be that way. And I think that leads to a lot of people's stress and anxiety when they try to control everything that's happening two steps ahead of them instead of controlling just what's right in on their plate in front of them. Yeah. Is it, uh, meditation is a definite great way to reduce stress and anxiety. Are there any other ways that someone can reduce stress and anxiety? Listen, there's some really practical ways like don't don't read too much online, you know, like start to observe how you feel. If I've been watching and reading a whole bunch of stuff online, do I feel good about things or do I feel stressed and anxious? You've got to remember that, you know, the news media and social media is a business. It's designed to keep you engaged as much as possible and that the, the easiest way to keep someone engaged is to keep them engaged by creating stress and anxiety and polarization in them. So that's how we end up going down these rabbit holes. So one of the most important things is to look at what activities do I do that decrease my stress or increase it? And not to be fooled that just because everyone else is doing it, that it's okay to do it. You know, it's not. And it's not that technology is a bad thing, but I think we just have to have a much more mature relationship with it. So become aware of, you know, what is it that creates stress and anxiety? Is it the things that I'm consuming visually? Is it the things that I'm eating? You know, am I sleeping enough? Am I exercising enough? There are basic things that can really support us to reduce our stress and anxiety, but it's a little bit like this. You, you, you live in Tennessee, Rich, so I'm going to give you a horse analogy. It's like this, you know. We wake up in the morning, right? Imagine that we wake up in the morning and this, the moment that we, um, we open our eyes, we're thrown onto this pony, but it's a friggin' wild pony. It's got no bridle. It's got no saddle. And, and, and this pony is just fully crazy. And it runs off in all sorts of different directions and we never know when it's going to stop. We never know when it's going to calm down. Every so often it'll stop and, you know, it'll get a little bit of food. Something will scare it. Off it'll go again. That's what most of our minds are like. 
You know, we're led in all sorts of different directions by the things that we're consuming on social media, on the news. Someone will say something. We're skitterish. We're anxious. But imagine if you can learn to tame and train your mind and you wake up in the morning and there's a, there's a beautiful horse sitting outside, champion horse, and it's got a beautiful saddle and a beautiful bridle and you get on it and you get to lead it wherever you want to go. That's the most powerful thing that you can learn is how to actually take control of your mind so that you're in charge of it rather than it being in charge of you. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It makes a lot of sense. It's just that with me and horses, I usually fall off them somehow, even if it's the best bridle and best uh, saddle, I usually wind up on the ground. It's uh, (laughs) it's just a a hate, hate, love, hate thing with me and horses, I guess. I don't know. They like when I give them apples and such, but they hate when I ride them. (laughs) I love it. It's nothing about social media or TV. It's just me and that horse. And uh, (laughs) I've had some some fun times with them. Excellent. We talked about the outside voices and uh, the outside influences. A lot of people have trouble with the, the, uh, the, some people say the devil on one shoulder, angel on the other shoulder, but it's really the voices in your head that just really get you into that roller coaster of emotions that you don't know what, What's going to happen in your anxiety levels, what your stress level goes up? How do you control that? Yeah, it's a great question, Rich, because that voice in our head is really exhausting. Again, this is where meditation is helpful, and it might be surprising, because what you start to see when you learn meditation is that if you were to sit, if I was to say to you right now, just to sit for 10 minutes and see where your thoughts go, They're going to dance all over the place. But after a while, after watching this for a number of weeks, you'll see that your mind goes consistently to the same place. And sometimes those places are fear-filled thoughts. Sometimes they're like ruminating over stuff. So one of the first things that it can be really powerful to do is to start to see where does my mind go consistently? And one of the things that I found when I was younger was that I had a voice on my shoulder that was super problematic. You know, it was at me all the time, like this inner critic telling me what I could or what I couldn't do. But the truth is, Rich, is that the only thing that this voice is, is a parrot. It's a parrot about what we believe about ourselves. So instead of worrying so much about the voice, what the most important thing that we need to look at is, what is it that I believe about myself? Do I think that I'm a good person? Do I think that I'm a powerful person? Do I think that I'm a capable person? Or do I think I'm someone who's not worthy of respect of other people? So building that relationship with ourselves and starting to recognize our goodness And our capability is one of the most powerful things that we can do, because as we start to do that, that voice in our head changes, because remember what I said, that voice in our head is merely a parrot. So it's important for us to understand if we get to the underlying cause of what is being fed to us, that parrot is actually going to tell a different story. So we live in a world now where it actually relies rich on us not feeling so good about ourselves because that is how commerce works. If you don't feel good about yourself and I can present you with a product that will make you feel better, then you're going to buy it. If we lived in a world where everyone was told that they were a really good person, they were capable, they were wonderful, they were beautiful enough, they were 
thin enough. They were intelligent enough. Like all of these enough, no one would want anything. So the modern marketing is based around, hey, this will make you feel better or that will make you feel better. Again, it's taking ourselves outside of ourselves for happiness instead of understanding that happiness is inside of ourselves. So it's really important to start to turn some of this messaging around because we're literally brainwashed into believing that we're not enough. Equally, we could brainwash ourselves into recognizing that we are. So it can be a really powerful practice for us to start to see the good things about ourselves. Hey, today I wrote that letter to my boss and told him that I wanted a raise. You know, yeah, that was really courageous. Like I'm a courageous person, all right? Or, you know, I helped that friend of mine when they needed their house moved. Yeah, that's so nice. I'm, I really like seeing that I'm actually a kind person. And to start to turn that messaging around and, and recognize all the good that we are because we live in a world that's constantly saying the world's a scary place. The world's a frightening place. Everyone's out to get you and you are not enough. None of those things are true. It's just a marketing model. So it's really important for us to take control of some of the messaging that we're consuming in our lives. And one of those things are, you're actually a really good person. And to start to remember that about yourself can be a powerful thing. When you do that, that voice in your head starts to change. And I know this because I, I turned the voice around in my head. Like I have such a deep trust of myself now. Whenever something's worrying me, I go to me. Like I, I, it's almost like it's gone from being my worst enemy to my biggest cheerleader and champion. And everyone has that capability. But the most important thing is to look at the beliefs that we have about ourselves and start to see who we really are. Definitely. And I, I, you know, I like that you brought the marketing uh, system that's going on in place right now throughout the world. It's fear marketing and they, everything that they market is based off fear in your head. And if you don't do this, X will happen. If you don't buy our product, this will happen. If you don't buy this pillow, your neck will break, or you don't buy this bed, you'll never be able to walk right. And that's how they, they fear market and everything that they do feeds that machine and feeds their machine more and just keeps your head spinning all day long. I like that you brought that up. And that also leads to emotional roller coasters for people because they think along with the stress and the anxiety and now the, the voice in their head, now they also have that voice on the box in front of them telling them if they don't do this, I'm going to be a bad person. Or I'm going to, this is going to be bad. How do you stop and manage your emotions? Is it the same way? Yeah, it's the same way because there's, there's always the fear of I'm not enough. At the end of the day, we just want to be loved. You know, we just, we just want to be loved. So we turn ourselves in knots trying to do a whole bunch of things to make ourselves lovable so that we get the love that we need, but we're already lovable. So it's really important for us to start to quieten those voices down. All that's happening is that the thoughts are actually uh, creating the emotional states. So if we can, if we can get to the source, it's almost like, you know, we have to get to the root of the tree and the root of the tree is our mind. So if we can start to work with our mind, then everything flows on differently from that. 
So for me, really working with my mind, I call it sowing the seeds of joy, you know, always looking for the positive, always looking for the positive about myself, about other people, about situations. So I start to have a garden that's full of beautiful flowers. Of course, there's weeds in there, but I deal with them after I've actually got all these beautiful flowers in my garden. So I have a strength and stability to deal with some things that might be a little bit more difficult. I've found that through working with my mind in that way, you know, through gratitude practices and really calming, meditating, you know, just a few minutes a day is enough. 10 minutes a day is enough to make the change. Then what we're able to do is to start to calm our emotions down because we have a, you know, the garden's full of beautiful flowers. It's much, much more stable. And the roller coaster of emotions that I used to live with and live on has completely dissolved. Like I'm, I'm stable and I'm calm and, you know, I'm a very passionate person and I, you know, I'm alive and I do wild stuff. Like I have a wild life, but I'm able to keep my emotional level in a place that I want it to be at rather than it being dictated by what's happening outside of me. So it just means that I'm so, so, so much happier because I'm not always trying to figure out what's going to happen now and, oh, now I don't feel so good. Now I feel great. You know, it's not all all over the place. And you obviously, you've been around, you stayed, you went all over the world to to find uh, different ways. Switzerland, I think uh, India as well. You went slums of India, castles of Switzerland. That's an amazing uh, place. uh, yin and yang on those two right there from the slums to castles so you've seen the two ways of living and that that also probably helped you rein in uh how to keep your your mind in check by sometimes it's not going to be always uh rainbows and butterflies sometimes it's going to be mud and dirt but i'll still be me and still be happy you don't get so bogged down in the mud and dirt rich i think that's the biggest thing is that the mud and dirt's still there you don't get bogged down in it And what I learned from, you know, going from the two extremes of living in the slums of India to, you know, I have a friend who has a castle in Switzerland and, you know, everything in between is that it's not about money, you know, on some level, a certain amount of money creates a stability where you don't have to worry and you've got a roof over your head and you've got food to eat. And those things are really important. But when you see, you know, people who have so little and who are often so incredibly happy, and then you see people who have so much and are often so incredibly miserable, yes. you start to realize that we're being sold a lie that actually happiness is coming from money and fame and wealth. You know, some years ago, I went and saw Lady Gaga performing in Las Vegas. And it was an incredible show. She was just amazing. She was doing this kind of big band kind of show. It was extraordinary. She was getting paid a million dollars a show. She's super wealthy. She's super influential. She's famous. She's got power. She's got pretty much everything that we are led to believe you could want. And it was quite astounding to hear her speak on stage about just how unhappy she was, you know, how much she struggled mentally. And so we can look at that and think, wow, wait a second, that doesn't make sense because these are all of the things that I'm being told are going to make me feel better. But it's not that because there's no way anyone can market 
being well in your mind. Like there's not a magic, you know, it it doesn't cost the same as a Ferrari (laughs) or any of the other things that we're sold. So it's, it's really important for us to understand that, that, you know, it's, yes, there's a certain amount of money that makes us feel secure, but there's so many studies that have been done that have shown over a certain amount of income every year. I can't remember what it is in the States, but it's something around the $40,000 mark that anything above that creates no difference in our happiness levels. So then we have to say to ourselves, okay, if it's not that, then what is it? It's not the big house. It's not the nice car. It's actually what is going on in here. And when you see all the celebrities that end up alcoholics, drug addicts, or dead, you start to realize, hmm, maybe it's not all that it's cracked up to be after all. Right. And you see a lot more of them showing the signs of the mental health issues that they had even prior to becoming famous. And they used their uh, their skill as an artist to try to come out of that. And it still didn't help them because they could never find that happiness that they kept chasing and chasing and chasing. Uh, and then uh, Steve, uh, uh, lead singer of Soundgarden, I got to see him two weeks before he uh, passed away. I hung out with him in Atlanta and he was just like us, just hanging out. We we're drinking some beers in a pub. And then two weeks later, he's dead in the tub and it's, yep. he was on that spiral of mental health his whole life. And it finally caught up to him. Yeah. And it's the deciding factor. You know, if you can, if you can learn to get your mind well, if you can learn to teach your mind to become that beautiful horse that we talked about, the whole landscape changes rich. It's like, it's, it, we should be taught these things at school. You know, we should be from a young age taught how to handle it instead of being taught, you know, a lot of stuff that we don't even utilize or use. If only we were taught skills like this, it would be a game changer for most of us. And particularly now, because, you know, we're, we're, you know, where the the World Health Organization pre-COVID had said that by 2030, the biggest health problem worldwide would be depression by 2030. Okay. We're in 2022 now. And we are literally in a mental health pandemic due to COVID because of the isolation, because of the fear, the anxiety, the fear mongering and the news and all of this. So it's even more vital right now to take care of yourself in these ways, because I just don't want anyone to become a statistic. You don't need to, you know, you really can turn your life around by working with your mind. Exactly. And and I think that's something, uh, a lesson everyone needs to learn. Uh, these last two years has been tough on the whole world and, and mental health wise. Uh, I think uh, young kids uh, not being able to be out with their friends that messes up their social growth and their mental health as well. And then throwing them right back in with no real preparation. And they, they are getting in trouble because they lost that, uh, that mechanism of I'm supposed to do right in this place and they don't do it anymore. So it's going to take a little while for that to rebuild and Hey, I have these rules I'm supposed to abide by, but mentally I don't know what I'm doing because all this has changed. And I was living in front of a computer for two years and not really doing my homework, but doing anything else I wanted on TikTok or whatever. And the machine was feeding me and not the school. But I think that's going to be across the board. You know, it's not just, uh, it's not just kids and that, you know, this dilemma of these kids growing up in this, in this way is huge and we're going to feel the ramifications from this for, you know, many generations to come because of what they've been through. But it's not just the kids. It's also that 
we're living in a time now where people have become more isolated and it's become comfortable. So what I'm seeing more and more is people are struggling to go out and see people and see friends because am I safe? Is it safe? Will I get COVID? Will I not? And so people then are kind of isolating down into the little bubbles of people they feel safe with and not going outside of that. But whenever I have someone that I'm coaching one-on-one that comes to me who's suffering from depression, one of the first things that we look at is their social network. And I can tell you 100% of the times there has been a breakdown in the social network. I was just talking to a client earlier today, you know, and she was saying, you know, I'm trying to be healthy with my food and not to drink too much alcohol. But whenever I see my friends, we just like, it's all based around food and alcohol. And I was like, and you keep doing that. You know, those friendships are actually more important to your health right now than worrying about the food and the alcohol side of it. If you're doing that once a week, don't even worry about it. You know, those social connections are so vital. And I think that's another important thing for us to understand is that we need them, you know, like part of the issue that so many people are are getting depressed and anxious is because there's no outlet. And, And what we're ending up doing is spending our time connecting. And I say that in inverted commas through social media or through the internet. And that's where so much of the anxiety comes for us because we're inundated with a whole bunch of messaging. That's, it's just not good for us. So I think it's really, really important for us to recognize this about ourselves. I really, really encourage everybody to look at those social connections, you know, really look at it. Am I seeing people? Am I staying in touch with people? If you're at risk with COVID or don't feel safe with it, get on Zoom. Like, make sure that you're having connections and conversations with people. It is vital to your mental wellness. Agree wholeheartedly on that one. And you spoke of your coaching and your, your courses. How does someone get in contact with you? How do they find you? Sure. So we have, uh, I have a website. It is my name, MoniqueRhodes.com. And, you know, there's a series of things that you can discover there. But the course that I love the most that I'm so proud of is called the Happiness Baseline. And it's an eight-week online course that teaches you how to be happier. And I do it. I run this course slightly differently because what I really care about, Rich, is helping people. So what I do instead of charging people is we have an accountability bond. And I get you to put down an accountability bond. You've got eight weeks to do the course. Takes about 15 to 20 minutes a day to to do the work at the maximum. And at the end, I give you 10 weeks to do an eight-week course. And we we, uh, get you to put this accountability bond down. If the end of the 10 weeks you've completed the course, you send us an email, you say, I want my accountability bond back. No questions asked, we give it back. But what I wanted to do for, for your audience was to actually give your Misfit Nation a 50% discount on that accountability bond. I want to encourage you to come and do it. So come to MoniqueRhodes.com. You'll see the link for the happiness baseline. And if you just put the code in, Misfit Nation, there'll be a 50%, 50% off that accountability bond that you'll get at the end anyway. You know, most online courses only have a 3% completion rate. I had no interest in creating a life-changing course where 
there were only 3% of people that got to the end and were able to change their life. So this is why I did it this way. And we have a 92% completion rate on our course. So it's a fantastic course, better than that, Rich. We test people with the Penn State University happiness test at the beginning and at the end. And we have a 100% success rate in shifting uh, the levels of someone from when they start the course to when they finish. So it's a a really powerful course and um, it's a very, very highly respected course actually. So I encourage you to come and do it. Put Misfit Nation in the code box, come and try that course out. And I promise you, you will see a shift in yourself. Outstanding. Thank you, Monique, for offering that up to all those listening here on the Misfit Nation. Hopefully those who are uh, thinking about going through a course, go to yours and uh, get that help they need to find their happiness and hopefully move forward in life without worrying about everything that they can't control. Absolutely. Everybody deserves to be happy. Like, what's the point, you know, if you can't be happy? And all of us can be happier. So for me, everything I teach, I do myself. Everything I teach is what I use to transform my own life. And it works. So there's a chance to be happier. I say go for it. Exactly. Uh, Thanks again, Monique, for taking some of your time to hang out with us here on the Misfit Nation and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Rich. Such a pleasure to be with you. You know how we do this. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with us on Fit Nation. Be sure to hit that subscribe button and share the link as much as possible. If you want to, please become a supporter to help us carry this thing on. We appreciate you. If you know someone that brings that energy, has a great story, is an up-and-comer in any industry of music, in the arts, have them reach out to us on TheMisfitNation.com. We will get back to them within one day and get them on here so they can share their story with the world. As always, till next time, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling. Because we are Fit Nation.